welcome to the Girl Tries Life podcast, where we share the stories of ordinary women who have gone on to lead extraordinary lives. This is episode number 32. My name's Victoria Smith, and today we are joined by Samantha Kimura, or as I know her better, Sam. So Sam is a mama coach, and we talk all about exactly what that means, but I first came to know Sam when we were friends in elementary school. And after years of not seeing each other, I moved to a different part of the city, different school. We kind of lost touch. This is the day before Facebook, guys. Uh, We reconnected during my experience with postpartum depression. Sam reached out to me and offered help. And through that, we've actually reconnected. And I'm, I'm so glad that she did that because I've gotten to know her as an adult and in a totally different way. So this episode is really interesting because we talk about Sam's experience working as a nurse. She works as a nurse with children. We talk about how she came to choose nursing as a career and what she's actually learned over the past 10 years from her patients. Sam is also one of those rare people that met her husband when they were in high school. So I ask her all about what that experience was like and how they've actually, how their relationship has changed as they've gotten older. Because I'm always curious Are you changing at the same rate? Are you guys, is one person speeding forward and the other one's catching up? Like, how does that work when you meet someone when you're that young? And they now have two beautiful children. We talk about Sam's experience, mothering both of them. And we also talk about her own experience and her struggle with postpartum depression, which she experienced with her second child and not her first. And then we kind of finish off on what it means to be a mama coach and how she is really embracing her mission to make mom's lives easier. So it is a fantastic interview. And heads up, guys, if you actually want to engage Sam as a mama coach, and she can do this anywhere in the world over Skype, she's going to be giving listeners of the Girl Tries Life podcast an extra two weeks of service to any package for free. So there's no code, there's no information, but I'm not putting this in the show notes because yet you just have to let her know that you've listened to the podcast. Now, before we get started, I just want to ask you really quickly, if you have been a longtime listener of the podcast, if you are really enjoying it, I would love to ask you if you could please leave a rating and review in iTunes for us. Now, the reason I ask this is because ratings and reviews make such a difference to the iTunes algorithm. So that super secret code, which is how people, you know, move up in the charts, a lot of it comes down to ratings and reviews. Now, it's not actually that straightforward on how to leave a rating and review. So I'm going to walk you through it really quickly. And I do this because I had no idea how to do it myself. So iPhone users only because I have zero idea how this works in Android. Sorry, not my uh, uh, not my area of expertise. But if you are in the podcast app, if you're a subscriber, most likely you're going to see the Girl Tries Life podcast in your feed. Fun fact, you cannot leave me a review directly from your feed. So what you have to do is you have to go into the search button and then you have to search Girl Tries Life podcast. So you'll see the beautiful pink icon there under podcast. Click on it there and then you'll see three sort of bars. One that says details that'll show you all the different episodes and the middle one is reviews. Click on reviews and really click quickly there. You can click write a review. Give it a whatever star rating that you feel is appropriate. And guys, it takes 30 seconds, but it will make so much of a difference to people finding the podcast and to being able to share the stories of these incredible women who have taken their time to share their stories with me and with you. 
whether it was Lucy who talked to us about building her fitness YouTube empire, to KGB who talked to us about fostering over 40 children, Kaylee who talked to us about her journey with infertility, Katie Collins who talked to us about being essentially left before the altar but turning her life around from that sense. There have been so many great women that have been on this podcast and there are so many incredible stories that are yet to come and so in order for other people to benefit from this, leaving a review will make all the difference in the world. So that is my request. Thank you so much and without further ado, let's head over to the interview with Sam. Thank you very much, Sam, for joining the podcast. We're excited to have you. I'm so excited to do this. Thank you for inviting me on the podcast. So I'm actually going to, the first question I'm going to ask is not one I prepped you for. Because um, <laughs> I like to do that. <laughs> so you and I have known each other since elementary school. Yes. Since ECS. Yeah. But then we didn't really see each other after elementary school and sort of connected on Facebook. So I remember you as being like very active, very outgoing, very chatty. How do you remember me? <laughs> and you can be totally honest. <laughs> I remember you as just being like, like you wished you were a queen. Like, <laughs> like I just remember like we always played like very proper games and you were always like very, like you always wanted to have like the tea parties perfect and like it's just so funny because I remember like. Like, I guess A-type personality, maybe, as a child. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. I remember our tea party. I have still have pictures of our, like, yeah. <laughs> little tea parties wearing our, like, blankets as dresses. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah, we had so much fun together. Yeah. No, we was, I was sad when we moved away. And, yeah. like, it was, I, and I, just, this is an aside, I found that a really rough time, like, in middle school, like, having yeah. to make totally new friends and... Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, know. I, know. I don't recommend middle school that for is parents. horrible for everybody. So. Oh god, the people that say like high school is the best time of their lives, I'm like, what is wrong? With they you? obviously are not enjoying adulthood. No. If the high school is their <laughs> best part of their life, because I can't really say that. No, no. But so for high school, for you, you met what is now your husband. Okay, and well, is yes. that accurate? <laughs> that part was very good about high yeah. school, I suppose. Yeah, we met in in high school in grade twelve. And our story is just kind of funny. Like, I dated his friend and who is now, like, our best friend. He was our best friend in, or our best man in our marriage and, or in our wedding. We just decided, like, we dated for a couple months and decided, oh, my goodness, like, we are so not compatible. But we're, we're really good friends. And then a couple months later, I was like, like, I still talked to Kelsey on, like, what was, like, I... Who are those, like, instant messaging things back in the day? ICQ? ICQ. Oh, my gosh, yes. seriously. I still talk to him on ICQ. And I think that was it. Anyways, and I just found him so funny. And, like, I would, like, rush home from school. We didn't go to the same school. I would, like, rush home from school to see if he was online because I really wanted to talk to him. And then eventually I said, hey, like, can we date? Because I really like you. And he, like, totally flipped out and was like, um yeah I'm sort of in love with you too and, and so then we like went on like a few really awkward dates but I think that we just both were so nervous with each other because we liked each other so much so yeah we started dating in high school and then I went to University of Alberta and he went to or to SAID in Calgary and so I there was not like an expectation that we would stay together but I just found myself 
coming home every week or every second week to see him. And then we just really, I think maybe second year, we're like, okay, we'll get married when we're done school. If we can last the four years at school living apart, then we can get married. And so, yeah, we, we got engaged in third year university and married the year after university. And yeah, we've so been together since... You? When you got married? So. When I got married, I was 22. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's crazy. And Like, yeah. now I felt like I was so old back then. Like, I felt like I was so wise and I knew what I wanted and all of that. And now that I look back, I was like, oh, my goodness, I was such a baby. Like, I can totally understand why all the, like, big adults in my life were like, are you sure you want to get married at 22? Like, like all of the adults in my life were like, you guys are too young. What are you thinking? Why would you, like, why are you jumping into this? You need to have fun and all of that. And... Our answers were always just like, it's not going to change if we get married now or if we get married in 10 years. Like, we're still going to love each other. So what difference does it make? And I'm happy we got married that young. Like, I'll not, I, not, I don't regret it. And I think that we've learned a lot from it and we'll continue to learn a lot from it. It's, it's definitely like an adventure when you get married when you're 22. And how long did you wait before your first child was born? Mm, four years. Okay. So I would have had babies like the day we got married, but my husband is a little bit more reasonable than I am. And so you had a cat instead. We got a cat instead. <laughs> and um, like I work with kids, so I always, I just, like I always knew that having kids was the only thing I've ever wanted. And so like I would have started trying whenever and he was like, nope, like we need to get you know, financially secure, we need to do this and this and this. And he had like his list of things and he wanted to get done before we had kids and he just wasn't ready. So, um, he sounds like an A-type personality. I'm just saying yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. He's, um, he's my logical side of the brain. <laughs> so yeah. he's very, he's good that way. And I'm glad that we waited. We had a lot of really fun times in those four years. And I think that now that we look back on it, we're like, oh, remember that time that we were in Japan and we went to, you know, eat that amazing curry and like, I'm just so glad that I got those experiences with him first and yeah. to, like before we added a Charlotte into the mix. Yeah. <laughs> David and I were the same. Like it was so great to have that time to travel and just do it the two of us. And mm -hmm. I think I would have really regretted it if we mm -hmm. hadn't done that. I think so too. Yeah. But then at the same time, I see my friends who did have kids right away and there's benefits to that too. Yeah. Like they're going to be, not that I'm not, that I'm going to be old when I retire, but like the ones I know that have had kids when they're 21, yeah. like they're going to be free and clear of these kids by the time they're 40. Like they, they have so much <laughs> life to live after their, yeah. <laughs> after their kids leave. So yeah. you, you know, never it's know just... what life's going to throw you. you exactly. Yeah. So meeting when you're in high school, getting married at 22, you know, people change so much over the course of a relationship, like especially when you're those ages, you know, going to school, having your first real career, all those kinds of things. How has that worked out for you guys? Have you guys been at like similar stages at similar times or have it has it been a little of one moves forward, one catches up? And uh, I think it's really been a lot of one moves forward, one catches up. We I think that being a like in your 20s is really hard to begin with and I just don't think like when people ask the difference between like what what's it like being married versus being single I think single people have all of their own struggles in their 20s just like married people do and so I didn't know any different I think that we have taken our challenges when they've come and at the end of the day we've always wanted the same things like I wanted kids a lot sooner than he did, but we both wanted kids and there was both that, that intention of always wanting the same thing. And so we've never, 
I think that we have a lot of respect for each other and that we're willing to wait for each other to catch up. And then for our careers, we really are so supportive of each other's careers. I'm his biggest cheerleader and he's my biggest cheerleader. So we really support each other's decisions. I trust what he wants to do with his career and um, I trust that he'll make the best decisions for us. And I don't ever feel like he has ever made a decision that is not inclusive of me or our kids. So that's probably helped a little bit. Like I think that our personalities in general have helped. And I just think that when you're with somebody when you're 17, like you just grow up together, you know, like you just, you learn, you learn each other and you learn what makes you mad and you learn what works and what doesn't. And there's a lot of things that I've learned that don't work with him. And I try not to do them now (laughs) because some of it's, hard and I'm not gonna lie some parts of our marriage have been hard but everybody there's so many good parts, parts of, too yeah yeah parts of everybody's marriages are hard and exactly it's, yeah it's no it's interesting what you say about growing up together because then I think there's also challenges to meeting when you're older and you have these established exactly patterns and habits and then having to deal with compromise where you haven't had to deal with it before exactly. is an interesting <laughs> one as well so there's no such they're like there's no perfect anything but yeah yeah I think part of like our relationship that really helped us was living apart for four years in university because we had to learn to communicate. There's no way to get along if we're not communicating. Like I can't, it's not like when you're in the same room with someone and you can passive aggressively slam a door. Like you, you have to tell him how you're feeling. You have to tell him what, like what is going on for you. And so I think that in those four years before we got married, we like really solidified how much we communicate. And we still work on that because that's part of any marriage. <laughs> yeah. David and I were long distance for three years, like Scotland to Canada, yeah. which is why our cat is named Skype. Skype right. was sitting with us right here, right now. And it was, yeah, it was the same thing. We had to learn to communicate. And it's not always easy, especially the seven hour time difference was right. never a joy. But no. uh, yeah, no, it was interesting. Oh, yeah, that we were only, I was only in Edmonton and that was enough. Yeah. <laughs> So you are a nurse. Mm-hmm. How did you make that career choice? Like, because I'm not aware of anyone in your family being a nurse, are they? No, nobody's a nurse. I didn't even think about being a nurse until right at the end of high school. Uh, I always knew I wanted to do something sort of with biology or science or like I really liked bio in school, but I never really even considered being a nurse and. Like, I just kept thinking that being a physician or being something with, like, multiple, multiple years of school just really didn't suit my personality because all I wanted to be was a mom as well as a nurse or as well as something else. And I couldn't think about waiting until I was older to have kids. That was something I wanted to do right away. So I went to, like, an open house at the university and... I saw nursing and it just like, it was like a light was shining over this bulletin board. And I was like, oh my goodness, that is me. That is what I want to do. I can do that well. It would be perfect for my family. And at the time, nursing in 2007, 2008, it was, they needed so many nurses and they were, you know, getting people to come over from overseas for them. Like it was a huge, huge industry to be hiring in. And I was like, that is me. Like I want to do a job or I want to do some school that I can get a job out of when I'm done. And it just felt perfect. So (laughs) finally enough, like I talked to my best friend's mom at the time, who's a nurse. And I said, 
Heidi, I'm so excited. I'm going to go and be a nurse. And she goes, ugh, why? <laughs> and I was like, oh. And now I realize she was probably just having a really bad day. <laughs> but she, uh, she's been a big supporter for me too. Like she, nursing is definitely, there's no question that I was meant to be a nurse for my entire life. Like this is me. And what kind of nursing do you prefer? Uh, I've worked in peds or in, uh, with kids for 10 years. My original plan was always to do labor and delivery because I've always wanted to support moms. And then when I got out of school, this job, like this is what the nursing was like in 2008, was I literally walked into an interview with the manager of pediatric oncology and she said, well, would you like to work eight hour tw- shifts or 12 hour shifts? And I was like, oh, are we not doing an interview? She's like, oh, I think you're pretty good. She's like, you've gone to U of A. That's pretty much all I all I need to know. And so, Holy. but that was the industry. Like they just needed, they needed nurses so badly that if you were a good fit, if you wanted to work there, they were willing to hire you. So they were basically like, what kind of position do you want? When do you want to start? How many hours do you want? Like I basically walked into a perfect job right from the beginning and I, I ended like I immediately loved being there. So I just, I kind of jumped around to a few other places, but pediatric oncology is sort of where I've where I'll always call home, I think. Yeah. So I have unfortunately had to go to the children's hospital with my son. And I can only imagine, you know, you're not just dealing with children. You're dealing with their very emotional parents. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing you wish that parents knew when they, or did differently when they came into emerge with their kids, what would that be? Oh, goodness. Did differently. I think my biggest thing would be, I mean, and I haven't worked in Emerge, but my biggest thing would be don't feel bad about being there. Like, don't think that coming to get checked out is wrong. Don't, don't feel guilty for advocating for your kids because sometimes it takes a few times to get people to listen to you and you know your child best. Like, we would just so much rather see somebody come in early than see somebody come in too late. So... Well, I know that there's a lot of like advertisement about when to come in and when not to come in, and I know parents really struggle with that. If somebody like HealthLink tells you to go in, they usually mean go in. It's not, it's not a joke. <laughs> okay, this is where I'm going to say something that's probably going to upset some listeners. How do you feel about people having their first babies outside of a hospital, like at home? I think it's absolutely wonderful if you have a supported, like if you feel 100% supported in your labor and delivery, you have a supportive person who is going to deliver your baby. I think that it's, it's wonderful. And like, I think the experience would be magical at home. However, with my first daughter, the difference between her being alive and not alive is maybe five minutes. So they had me, I had an abrupted placenta, which is a very serious complication of labor. And, um, and we were in a C-section faster than you could blink. So I just, I continually think about that and go back to that. And I think part of being a nurse is that you always think of worst case scenarios. And so my choice would never be to deliver at home, but I do 100% understand how people will want to... Yeah, deliver. I, I can see wanting. I could see wanting it until I had my son because mm-hmm. I just remember I would, like his heartbeat just crashed mm-hmm. when we were in labor, mm-hmm. and I would never have known that. Mm-hmm. And 
that I mean, pe- there were like ten people in the room in seconds, mm-hmm. and like having me do all sorts of weird like gymnastics to get his heart rate back up and all that kind of stuff, and I would never have known. Mm-hmm. This is just my rant. But then, if you've had multiple babies before and you've had all fantastic births, I'm totally fine. I just I get a little nervous mm-hmm. when friends of mine say they're thinking of you know or people I know having their first baby at home, and I'm like, oh no, 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 mm-hmm. just because of my experience. But yeah, I agree. I think I'm very much tainted by my experience and how. Like, I would have, like, we would have been goners, period. Um, and so I, I'm very much tainted by my experience. What I can say, though, is that I think that there is a lot to be said for midwives and their care. And I, I definitely would never discount their care. And I know that they're so, like, they're so well-trained and they would hopefully get in soon enough. But another thing that I have learned over the last little bit here is just that I think that we go into the hospital really, really early. And I definitely was a was a person who did this. I went in way too early with my daughter. I was like barely one centimeter dilated, but I was having regular contractions. And in the book they say, when your contractions are five minutes apart, go into the hospital. But there's lots of evidence that's coming out that says that, that kids or that women are actually in labor for probably three or four days before they mm. actually get into the active stage of labor, which is four centimeters and up. So there's um, lots of evidence to support that staying at home for as long as you possibly can until either your contractions are so strong that you need to go in or that the pain is too bad or that you feel like you need to go in. If you're having, like, if you're feeling good, stay at home. Like, you do not need to be sitting in triage. That's not fun for anybody. No good. But, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. And now that I look back on it, I was like, oh, yeah, I was totally in labor for, like, days before I had her. But, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Sorry. Totally a side question. (laughs) So, patients learn so much from their healthcare practitioners, but what have you learned from your patients? I thought this question was so good. I learn something from my patients every single shift I work. Like, without a doubt, if I could make a book of things, maybe I'll do that one day. (laughs) There you go. Uh, A book of things that I've learned about my patient, from my patients, I would, I, you know, it would be a great read because... The things that they've taught me about life, the things they've taught me about being a parent, about being kids, about my own knowing myself and knowing the person that I want to be is amazing. Like they're, they're just really incredible little people that come in to see me. So I think the biggest thing that I've learned from them is just that I am the privileged one that gets to be part of their journey. They are not... They're, they're not lucky to have me. I'm lucky to have them because that is a part of their life that is so incredibly vulnerable and that's part of their family's life that's so vulnerable. And, like, I just think that I am the one that gets to be there for that. I am, I'm the one that gets to see the mom cry that never cries, you know. I'm the one that gets to hold the baby's hand or cuddle the baby, you know, when they're putting oxygen on his face or something like that. Like, I just think that there's those are such precious important moments in a family's journey and I'm the lucky one that gets to be the person that gets to do that. That's awesome because when I I was in the hospital for almost a week with my son at Christmas time and I just couldn't couldn't speak highly enough of the nurses there and just them making me feel comfortable and feeling listened to and like taking such good care of my son like I've never 
You don't want to be in the hospital, mm-hmm. but if you have to be at the hospital, the children's hospital is yeah. the one to be <laughs> it's at. To- totally true. Yeah. And they have, like, fun games. Like, they have air hockey and stuff. Like, they don't have that there in adult a, hospitals. There so. was a pet... Like, like pet, therapy. pet therapy. Yeah, there's, like, some really amazing stuff that goes on there. I yeah. think that it's a pretty cool facility, but... Yeah. You and I have talked about how your first child was definitely easier in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, in terms of your postnatal experience, particularly. So, what were your expect- expectations of having your second child? <laughs> well, I feel like I was kind of thrown a curveball with my son. <laughs> like, um, my daughter is your most typical lovely little girl <laughs> who, who loves to read, loves to sit quietly and play, loves to just cuddle all the time. And so... I just like kind of was under the impression that I was just a really, really awesome mom. And I, I, you know, you I didn't are an have awesome a mom. I'll just <laughs> say that first. But I just thought that it was my doing that she was so awesome. And so when I had my son, I was like, I got this, guys. Like, I am, I can do everything. And so I struggled with postpartum anxiety and depression prenatally, which now I know is actually as common as postnatal depression. Up to 25% of moms can get prenatal and postnatal depression. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Like, we it's talk not about screamed. postnatal. We don't talk yeah, about we prenatal. Don't, no, we don't. Because no mom, no mom wants to say that they're not enjoying their pregnancy. Everybody knows that mom that struggled with fertility. And yeah. I think that we're just really conscious, or we should be really conscious of what we say when we're pregnant and how we express ourselves. So I think that it's not often said that we're maybe struggling a lot in our pregnancy or that something has changed or whatever. When I was 25 weeks pregnant, my manager pulled me into her office and very kindly said that she didn't think that I was doing well. And she said, she noticed I was struggling. She noticed I was having a hard time and that I wasn't myself and I didn't seem very happy. And my reaction was obviously one that I was like, I wasn't really mad because I was like, how can you say that? I have a toddler. I'm not sleeping. I'm 25 weeks pregnant and I'm having Braxton Hicks contractions 10 times an hour. That was another fun part of my pregnancy. And of course I feel terrible. Like I just, and I was so mad at whoever it was on the unit that had told her that. But then now that I look back on it, I'm like, wow, I just, I'm so thankful for somebody recognizing that about me. And I don't think that it ever got noticed in my prenatal visits because I had a reason to be anxious. Like I, I had 10 Braxton, Braxton Hicks contractions an hour and I was taken off work early and I had reasons to worry about prenatal or preterm labor. So they never questioned me on, on how I was doing. And so I was really, 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 really set on a VBAC because I had a really traumatic birth with my first. Sorry, VBAC is... Sorry, uh, vaginal birth after cesarean. So oh, okay. having, a, having a natural labor after you have a cesarean. And now I know that postpartum depression after a traumatic birth is very, very common. And I had a really traumatic birth with her, and I didn't want that for my second. I had that magical feeling that I just... I really wanted him on my chest. I wanted the delayed cord clamping. I wanted all of those things that you dream about when you think of having a baby. So I was so focused on that. I didn't care about anything else. And then I had that. I had a perfect labor. He was amazing. It was like so beautiful. And so I figured after he was born, I said, 
you know what? Like, this is awesome. I can get out of the house. I can do whatever I need to do. I am like, I don't need sleep. Like sleep is not something that I need as a mom. And I just thought I'll just, I'll just drink more coffee. And then I didn't even, like, I didn't give myself time to rest. I didn't give myself time to recover. Uh, I just sort of jumped back into it and thought that he would just work around me because that was, I figured we already have an established life. He can just fit in. And it didn't really work like that. I, I really suffered for a very long time with postpartum depression. And for, I don't know, probably five months I struggled. And I didn't even, like I didn't tell anybody. I didn't, uh, I didn't tell my family. I didn't even tell my husband. And my husband is the person who knows me the best out of anybody in the world. And he would leave in the morning and I would have a smile on my face. And I'd say, we're going to go to the zoo today. And... Inside, I would just be crying and crying and crying because I, I couldn't cope. And I felt like, how in the world am I supposed to watch or provide for these two beautiful humans when I can't even like manage to feed myself breakfast? And so I just felt like I was a huge failure for them. And, you know, this wasn't the life that I was expecting. This is, wasn't what I was expecting for being a mom. And uh, I kind of went down the rabbit hole and it... It was a, it's been a really, really long journey to recovery from that because part of it was that I was too, too headstrong to ask for help. I didn't think I needed help. I didn't think I needed medication. I didn't think I needed anything. I thought I could just do everything myself. I didn't even think I needed to tell my husband about it because in my mind, I thought if he knew how much I was struggling, he would leave me. And that is a hundred percent an irrational thought, <laughs> but I thought you know, this isn't the person he married. It's not the, you know, amazing life that he had before we had kids. Like, so I can't, if I can't put the the dinner on the table, why would he stick around? Like, if I can't keep my house clean, why would he stick around? Like, he's going to go find something something better than me. And so I never told him and I should have because he would have, he would have picked me up and helped me. But I just really thought that my irrational thinking was too strong at that point to ask for help. So eventually I asked for help. (laughs) I started, you know, getting what I needed and it was a really long process ending in being admitted to the hospital for five days after a year and a month after my son was born. It was so, so hard. And now that I look back on it though, I would, I would tell anybody, anybody that that was the best decision I ever made for myself was asking for help because it was the best decision for my family. It gave me the connections I needed to get even better help. It got me connected to the team that I needed to be with. It gave me tools so that I could take those in my daily life and apply them. And I just think that if anybody, if anybody is struggling, I just would love to tell you how you don't need to do this by yourself. I never ever want a mom to feel alone. Like that's my that's my mission. It's never to let a mom feel alone. And so the the piece about being admitted to hospital, like I remember when they like they talked to me about that in postpartum and I think you have that that gut reaction that there's something seriously wrong with you. Like they it's the you don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Having done it and you say like getting help is the best thing. Mm-hmm. Has it changed your perception of what that process is being admitted to hospital? Absolutely. Like, 
Well, I think part of being a nurse was the really hard part on there, too, because as a student, I did my mental health rotation, and um, I kind of had this preconceived notion about what mental what the mental health unit is, and it was not a place that I pictured people going to get help. It was a place that I pictured people going when they have no other options left in their life, and... I think part of the biggest struggle for me with that was that everybody in my life that was close to me would know, would know that I wasn't perfect and I wasn't a perfect mom and I wasn't keeping this mask up that I had been for a year. And so that was part of sort of my process when I was in there was being able to realize that, that it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to be authentic. And I think that was like one of the biggest life lessons that I've ever learned through that process is just that being authentic is everything and if you can't if you can't be yourself then you know why like it's not it's it's so hard living when you're not living your like yourself you know when you're living what you think you should be or you're making a a face for everybody did social media have an adverse effect on your postpartum I don't think so. To me, I thought social media was helpful because it connected when I was lonely and isolated. Mm-hmm. It connected me with my friends. Um, my best friend actually lives in Australia and she struggled with the same thing at the same time. We both had kids at the same time and we're dealing with the same thing. And so being able to talk to her through social media was so helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, I have no, I've never had any preconceived notions that. Um, what people post on Instagram is true. (laughs) So I know that not everybody's life is perfect and I know that we try and make it seem like that on Instagram, but um, I've just never thought like that. And I... um, I think a lot of people do though and that's mm -hmm. the dangerous part is like it's a double-edged sword. I find social media fantastic for connection, but when you do that comparison and I don't want people to know I'm less than or anything like that, I think Mm -hmm. that can be a really challenging side of it. Mm Mm-hmm. For me, it was always the people that were closest to me that I never wanted to know that I was less than. Like, I feel like my entire life I've been, I've been doing pretty well. Like, I always, I always did, have done well at everything I've wanted to do. And so, um, and part of that was that I, it was fueled by anxiety of failing. Um, and I think after you have kids, after you have two kids especially, um, you just don't have the control that you used to you you don't get to control when you go out you don't get to control when the kid naps like well sometimes you do but you don't get to control I don't know you just you lose a lot of yourself and the control and I think that's when people really notice how hard it is but I always just really wanted I wanted everybody in my life to know that I was doing well even though I was struggling so much I'm really glad you got the help that you needed. <laughs> so and am you're I. On the other side of it. And so now you're a mama coach. Yes. So, what is a mama coach? Tell us all about it. Oh my goodness! <laughs> like this is my dream job. Like I, I feel like I was put on this earth to do this job. So, um, um, the mama coach was originally developed by a lady named Carrie Bruno. She's a labor and delivery nurse and. She started this company because she wanted moms to get off Google. She wanted moms to um, be able to be informed and feel supported with their babies. And she really saw a need for an evidence-based, science-based approach to getting your child to sleep. 
she read all those books and really didn't like the way that they would put you in nap jail. All that does is make moms feel isolated. So she did a lot of work with sleep and studying sleep and um, developed a really cool program. So I hired her when my son was five months old and I he was getting up every 45 minutes at night and I had a toddler and I was miserable because I was not sleeping and I think I slept for maybe, maybe 45 minutes in like at a time for like two or three months. It was horrendous. So that's like torture. It is. It's like legitimate torture. I think that's what they use for torture. Yeah. Like sleep is so important. Yeah. <laughs> and Every 45 minutes. It was, and he was like, I was just his crutch. Like, and this is like, I have, um, you two, were your boob. Yeah. <laughs> my boob was his crutch. Um, <laughs> he didn't, he used me as his prop to help him go back to sleep. Yeah. And I just kept thinking like, he just wants to eat. He just wants to eat. And like, he never would take a bottle and you know, like in the middle of the night, you just want them to go back to sleep. So you will go and get up and give them a boob for two seconds just so that they'll go back to sleep. And I got in a really like bad pattern of doing that. Carrie came in and helped me. The mama coach helped me. And she had him sleeping through the night in two nights. I like went from 45 minutes a night to sleeping through the night in two nights. Did you hear angels? Sing? I did. I thought I legitimately thought that she was sent Aww. by God to help me. Like I was like, "You are the most amazing person I've ever met." And so here's my money. Yeah, take it all. Pretty, pretty much. Like I would at that point, I would have paid a million dollars to to help to get help for that. And she just happened to charge a reasonable amount, so it was good. And she, like, it was kind of funny because, because she, like, saved me and saved my son's sleep. I ended up just really liking her and really enjoying talking to her. And, like, you get two weeks of support with the mama coach. And I think I, I texted her for, like, months and months and months. Like, <laughs> we, I definitely, it was definitely way over what I paid for <laughs> to get some help. And she was just so amazing. And she was so helpful for postpartum depression and, she just really, she saw the Sam in me when I didn't see the Sam. So anyways, fast forward a couple to like March, I think. And she messaged or she texted me and said, Hey Sam, I was wondering if you would like to be a mama coach. And I like kind of thought about it for a second. And I was like, oh my goodness, like this sounds amazing. Sure, I would love to. And then I thought about it more and then she kind of did her work and figured it out and figured out what she was doing. And she decided to license her company to different mama coaches across Canada. So I bought a license to advertise myself in Calgary, but I can work anywhere. I can do sleep consultations over Skype. And so I can work anywhere, but I just like, I couldn't get over what an amazing opportunity this was. And I legitimately feel like this was what this is why I had postpartum depression. Like this is why I struggled for so long was so that I can do this job and make a difference to people because like I remember laying in bed and just being so like just crying and crying and crying and I just remember feeling like there has to be a reason for this. If there's not a reason for this happening then like what is the point of living because there you don't get given struggles like this for no reason. And I just remember thinking like something good is going to happen. Something good is going to happen. Something has to, good has to happen. And this was it. Like this was the good that happened. And 
Yeah. It's the pony. Exactly. If you listen to her previous <laughs> podcast episode, Solo Finding the Pony. So this was exactly. The pony. So this yeah. was this was the good. And so I'm I was just so I'm so excited to do this. I get to help moms, I get to help babies, I get to I'm just so excited. So it's, you work with them on sleep. Are there other topics that you kind of work with them on? Yeah. So I do, like, we have lots of different sleep plans. So I can do newborn sleep, like teach moms how to do, have good sleep skills right from the beginning so that they don't really need to do any kind of sleep coaching later. And then I also do sort of the sleep coaching when you need your baby to sleep and he's not sleeping. And then I also do toddler sleep. I do allergy navigation for moms who need to change their diet for breastfeeding breastfeeding and stuff. Or if your child is diagnosed with a severe allergy, I support moms in helping navigate that. What to do when you go to birthday parties. What to do when you have to take your kid to school. Those kind of things. All really stressful things. Um, And then I also do in-home prenatal classes, which I think are like my favorite part because... I come to your house, we chat for three hours about you and your pregnancy and labor, and it's totally personalized. And then I get to see the little baby that comes out after. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's awesome, and I had so much support, and I just, I so badly wish this was around when I had kids, because yeah. it would have been perfect. <laughs> I give tech support all the way up until the baby's born. So moms don't have to go on Google and oh gosh. you don't have to wonder whether or not you're in labor. You can text me and I can help you. So yeah, yeah it's pretty cool. Like I think that it's just a really cool opportunity to help moms. Yeah. Oh, it sounds awesome. You're essentially becoming a small business owner or yeah. I mean, how, what was that kind of decision like to, I mean, cause you're still working casual yeah. at the hospital. So you still got some stability there. But, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how yeah. are you feeling about this? Well, so I just never thought that as a nurse, I'd be able to work in my own business because typically nurses get a job at the hospital. They work there until they retire and that's their job. And you get a lot out of that, but you also, you know, it gets to a point where you aren't learning as much as you need to learn every day. And, you know, you kind of get involved in the politics and things like that. And I just was really looking for something that I could work really, really hard at and see results. And then you're one-to-one with those clients the whole way through. Like, exactly. there's no shift change, and then you exactly. don't see that person again and how they... Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and I think there's something really cool about working with healthy patients. As much as I love, like, I think it's going to be a really good balance between working at the hospital and then working with healthy moms and babies because, you know, I just, I think for family life balance, it's important to be able to see the other side. So I... I'm really excited to do the small business thing because it's a whole new ball game and you know things that I never thought about I have to learn like social media like I just used <laughs> to post on Facebook pictures of my kids I never knew about like posting an ad or posting like how people respond or you know the any of that or like the backlash occasionally that you get from a post that maybe wasn't perfect or things like that like it's a whole new learning curve and I'm really excited for it because it's super interesting to see how people respond on social media. Yep, it's a whole new world. Yeah. It's fascinating. And you're doing blogging for Mama Coach, right? I am, yeah. I'm doing blogging. I'll have, I have lots of great ideas for it. I'm just, this has been a really busy month, so I haven't got too many up. But yeah. my first blog was meeting with Dr. Catherine Lebel. Le- uh, she's a researcher at 
with the Alberta Children's Hospital Foundation, and she is studying the effects of prenatal and postpartum depression on, um, actually on the kids, on their brains through MRIs, Mm. which I was intentionally careful about because I don't want any mom to feel like if there's something that's happening with their kid that it was her fault because it's absolutely not. But I am really excited for the fact that she's doing this research and there's going to be evidence to support that we need more services for prenatal and postpartum health. It's really cool to me that I can take her information and go into a doctor's office and say, this is why you need to screen for prenatal depression because there's evidence to support that the earlier you get, like earlier intervention means healthier families. So... It's pretty cool, and yeah. I wrote a blog about that, and I'll, uh, I have a couple more in the works. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to ask a personal question here related to that. So I am still sort of on anti-anxiety medication uh, mm-hmm. following my postpartum and just, like, my life. Mm-hmm. And I have that fear about wanting to get pregnant again and do I stay on medication and not, and the doctors say that it's totally fine. Mm-hmm. What would you tell moms in those scenarios? I would tell moms that your children need a healthy mom. Your children need a mom who practices self-care, practices mindfulness, practices all of those things that make you a good mom. Um, And the effects of medication, if there are any, they haven't found very much links between antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications to a baby, um, are very minimal in comparison to your quality of life. And... The long-term effects of growing up in a family with a mom who isn't happy are so much more detrimental than having a mom who takes medication. And I wouldn't have said this after I had, like, I 100% would have never said this before I went on medication for this. Yeah, because I didn't think you wanted to. I really didn't want to, and I was so scared. And it it wasn't about the breastfeeding, it wasn't about the effects on him, it was just that... It was such a, it was like admitting that I needed help and I didn't want to do that. But now that I have been on it, I found a great combination of medications that really help my anxiety. Um, I can 100% see how they're life, they're life-saving drugs. And um, yes, they get a bad rap, but it was either a medication or my kids not have a mom. So what is the, de- you know what I mean? Like yeah. when you think about it like that, it's like, okay, like there's... There's no question that some people need medication, and it's not your fault. It's not, it's not something you've done to create it. It's just your body, and if you had heart disease or you had diabetes, you would be on medication for it. And we screen for gestational diabetes because one in 20 women have gestational diabetes, but one in four women have postpartum depression. You know, if we all broke our leg during pregnancy, every single one of us would be going to see an orthopedic surgeon mental illness isn't given the same attention as physical illness and that just needs to change because your brain is like a huge part of your body and if it's not working like not not working if it's playing tricks on you or you're not it's not up to par just like your heart or your foot necessarily could be not up to par you would get help for it it's not anything that's you've caused on yourself it is just your body well I am so glad you're such a great champion of mental health. <laughs> Do you consider that you have a personal mission? <laughs> well, yes. I am so fired up about mental health right now. Just so fired up. And my mission 
is to never let a mom feel alone. Like I just, I just never, ever, ever want a mom to feel as alone as I did. And so if I have to tell strangers on the street about postpartum depression, if I have to write a thousand blogs to tell moms that they're not alone, I will because, and I don't care how long it takes me, I really want, I really want to put it out there that there's so much light after postpartum depression and it's not, it's not your fault. So the interesting part about that is if I'm remembering this correctly, like you and I have been Facebook friends for a while, but mm-hmm. I haven't seen each other in person. And then I think I had mentioned something about postpartum mm-hmm. and that's when you reached out to me and we sort of reconnected if I'm remembering this correctly. I don't remember to be honest, but I think that's what happened is that yeah. I had written about postpartum dealing with postpartum depression mm. and you'd contacted me because you said you were going through it and if I look oh, back yes, now yes. you were in the midst of that mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. and so like to say that it's a mission is no small thing because even when you were in the depths of it you were still reaching out wanting to make sure I wasn't feeling alone so mm-hmm. I really appreciated that <laughs> so yeah I barely remember those times but I, I vaguely well, remember I reaching it. out to you <laughs> <laughs> I appreciated so, it <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely, um, again, like it just goes back to me feeling like there's, there was a reason why this was all happening to me. And that is because I, I meant to help people. I meant, I'm put on this earth to help moms. Well, I think so many people are going to benefit from you as a mama coach. So I'm really excited about it. (laughs) So we're going to move into the five questions that we ask all of our interviewees. I say we, it's me. It's just, yeah, (laughs) I do this all the time. Um, Well, Skype is here. Skype is here. Yeah, Skype (laughs) is asking some of these questions from his state of unconsciousness. Um, I have a feeling I already know the answer to this because you've kind of mentioned it, but what are the things, personal or professional, that get you really fired up in a good way? Well, in exception to my... My plight to remove every dandelion from my front lawn. Oh, jeez. <laughs> or my back lawn. I am, oh, I'm a little bit obsessed about that. It gets me really fired up. But In a good way. In a good What's way. a good way? Because I love gardening. Yeah. So I think, obviously, mental health in general is something that gets me really fired up. Addictions, understanding addictions, understanding that people don't cause addictions and, you know, changing people's mindsets of, like, let's be... Let's be kind to people with mental health issues and let's, let's help them and let's understand where they're coming from because everybody has a story. Like every single person, if you talk to anybody in the world, whether they, have, whether they say that they have mental health issues or not, has a story and they, you can probably figure out a reason for why they are the way they are because if you listen to what their life was like, if you listen to where they've come from, if you listen to the things they struggle with, you'll be able to understand why they are the way they are. So that gets me really fired up. You and I were talking about this before, because normally I ask what's sort of the most inspiring book you've read in the past few years, and you weren't feeling there was one. Is there a parenting book that you've actually really benefited from ever? Because I, so personally, I hate what to expect when you're expecting. Yeah, I hate that book. I actually read it and felt like I was gonna kill your child yeah Yeah, like everything I actually put it in a little free library I was like I paid 40 bucks for this book but I never want to see it again someone else take it yeah is there any parenting book that was actually really helpful yeah oh you know what you got toddler so like you know prenatal or toddler or whatnot it was really helpful when I was struggling after my son to read the gifts of imperfection by Brené Brown Brown. like I I mean she's amazing and you know 
if I ever get to sit down for dinner with one person, I would love to sit down with Brené Brown because she's just so amazing. And she'd say, y'all. Right? Yep. Brené Brown, give me a call. I'd love to collaborate with you. I just think that book was, it hit the right spots at the right time. It was a really good book. And it's a quick read as well. Like yeah. it's, I think it's 120 pages. Yeah. No, I love, I mean, I'm still not finished it, but it's on my bookshelf. I read mm-hmm. too many books at once. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite quote and why is it your favorite quote? I think my favorite quote, well, you know what? My old favorite quote before all of, before having kids would have been love life and life will love you back because that was the philosophy I lived by. If I had a good attitude, good things will come to me. And now I just realized that you don't always have a good attitude and it doesn't necessarily mean that good things won't come to you. You don't necessarily have to like adore life all the time. You can accept that sometimes life is kind of crappy and that good things will still come from that and you can still learn from that. So my new quote, which I love, is actually in a Faith Hill song and I sing it to my daughter. I sing Fireflies to my daughter every night. And she now sings along with me when I'm singing it. It's like the cutest thing ever. And, I don't think I know the song. Oh, it's so good. And there's a quote in it that says, Life is hard and so is love. Child, believe in all these things. So that is one thing that I want to instill in my daughter is that sometimes life is hard. Sometimes love is hard. But you still need to keep going. You still need to pick up and, and figure out a way to work around those hard times because life can't be perfect. And you know, it's funny, I did another interview this morning, the interview that people will have listened to last, two weeks ago, and um, she said the exact same thing, that challenges are actually when we grow and when we really experience change, and and to embrace those times, even though it doesn't feel like it at the moment, Mm -hmm. and you look back and you feel that. Yeah. Yeah. What is the best life lesson that you've learned or advice that you've been given? Oh, um, the best life lesson I've learned is ask for help. Like, it's... I didn't learn it until I was 29 years old (laughs) or 30 years old, but oh my goodness, just ask for help. Like just, you don't need to, you're not burdening people. People who love you will, will be happy to help you. And if they're not happy to help you, then they're not worth being in your life. And, um, asking for help was the best decision I ever made for myself. So that is something that I will take with me and it's something that I will tell my daughter and my son every single day of their lives is that when you need help you need to ask for it because people can't read your minds. So if you were seeing another Sam out there that was going through this that wasn't asking for help Mm -hmm. and you were friends with them would you try and push that help on them or what like what how would you help that person that's not asking for help? Mm, That's tough. I don't think that I don't think anybody is going to ask for help until they're ready. I think that that our journeys and lives will take us places that we're supposed to be at. But if you're not ready, then there's no amount of pushing from somebody that's going to tell you to do something. I, like, the people I was working with prior to being admitted would have told me a thousand times that I needed to be hospitalized, and I denied it every single time until I was ready to do that for myself. And so my, my thing for that would be I absolutely would not push anything on anybody. I would ensure that they're safe and I would ensure that they don't, they're not going to places where they would like to self-harm or anything like that. But I also would give them the time that they need to, to ask for help themselves. And in the meantime, I can be an ear. I can be a listener. I can be somebody who, I can be somebody who they can call and say, I'm having a really effing hard day. 
and we say that's okay like it's totally okay to have a hard day or just knowing that I'm available I think that's the biggest thing for people is you don't need to be a mental health educator to be a good advocate for mental health you can you can just be available and them know that you're not going to judge them that you're not going to send them to the hospital if they tell you something that they're thinking if you know like there's lots of there's lots of ways that you can just be a really good support without and like sneakily push the help without actually saying listen to me I'm taking you into the hospital right now you're done (laughs) you're never getting out and throwing a key like that doesn't do anything for anybody so yeah final question Sam what does it mean to you to live your best life that's that's a that's a loaded question (laughs) (laughs) I think that it means being authentic and this again took me 30 years to figure out but hey some people it takes way more than 30 years that's right some people never figure this out but I think just taking off your mask and accepting who you are and loving yourself like living your best life absolutely just means loving yourself and not all the time. I can't say that I love myself all the time or that or that I love how I feel all the time because sometimes I'm really anxious and sometimes I don't feel good and you know or sometimes I feel like a terrible mother because I raise my voice at my kids or something like that. But I I think loving yourself means being able to accept that this is who I am and I'm okay with it and you know there's people who love me, there's people who I feel safe with those kind of things and I think living your best life means showing your kids that you are an authentic person like we just talked about this that I think there's a big generational difference between like our like my parents and our generation and our parents kept a lot of things inside and they never told anybody how they were feeling and um, a couple of times my mom has said to me like oh you would never tell Charlotte about your postpartum depression and I said no way I would tell Charlotte about this every day of our lives I want her to know I want her to know that it's okay to ask for help. I want her to know that that I struggled, but I still loved her, and that's why I asked for help, because I loved her so much that I was willing to do anything for her. And so, yeah, like just being, being authentic, that's what it's all about. And as Brene Brown says, the most important, powerful words in the English language are me too. Yeah, so totally. I think you will have a lot of listeners that are saying <laughs> me too in response to your story. So thank you so much, Sam, for joining us. That was, it was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Here's what I love about Sam. She is just an authentic person and she has no qualms about sharing what is going on in her life and how you know, she's gone through this experience with postpartum and how that has actually been the thing that has helped her find her mission in life. And I think that is incredible. And I so congratulate her and on her vulnerability, because I I truly believe if we are not vulnerable human beings, we can't learn from one another and we can't connect and just great job, Sam. So I'm so proud of her. So if you learned more about being, what Mama Coach involves, if you know someone that can benefit from this, tell them to listen to this podcast episode because if you mention the Girl Tries Life podcast when you are signing up for one of Sam's packages, you can get two weeks of service for free. So only to listeners of the podcast, please uh, participate in that. 
For show notes for today, you can go to www.girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 32 for 32. Because holy moly, guys, we're on episode 32. Again, I would just ask if you have 30 seconds free, if you could leave us a review on iTunes, it would make the world of a difference. Two weeks from today, if you have subscribed to the podcast, we are going to be joined by Dalene Heck. Now, Dalene is one of National Geographic's top travelers as of 2014. Her and her husband own the blog Hectic Travels, and they basically, eight years ago, sold all their possessions, sold their house and everything, and just started traveling. So Daylene and I talk about her experience traveling with her husband, being a travel blogger, building up their business on the side called Hectic Media, and she's actually just recovered. She's in full remission from cancer. So we talk about that experience and how she's handling it and how it's changing her life. So it's going to be a fantastic episode. If you are not subscribed, make sure you are so that it just automatically shows up in your feed, but it's going to be a great episode. As always, I just want to remind you, whatever it is that you are working towards, whatever your goal is, guys, it always comes down to the action. So what is your action going to be today? And do it. And I guarantee it will make all the difference in the world. So I look forward to catching up with you guys next time. Take care.